Hi there, welcome to the Kids Way Podcast. We are a podcast committed to helping kids stay in the way of the King. And if you've never heard of King Jesus, well get ready, you are going to love Him. We pray that you would also learn more about what it means to be on His narrow way. We also use various tools to encourage and teach, from fictional stories to scripture reading, to music and sometimes even bringing in some kids to contribute. You can find us online at www.kidsway.ca and there you will find links to our Facebook page and also other info about Kidsway. Before getting into today's episode, we want to thank Jamie Souls for allowing us to use his wonderful music collection. If you would like to check out more of Jamie's music, you can find him at soulmusic.ca. That's www.solmusic.ca. Well, let's get to the story. We pray you are encouraged and pointed to King Jesus through today's episode. Hi there, and welcome back to Kids Way Podcast. Today we're going to continue our story of Shamgar and the Unlikely Bride. And so let's get to the story. Chapter 3, The Sacrifice I tried to move closer to where he was chained, and as I did, I happened to glance down, and there was the book which had come from Mamlika. I picked it up and wiped off the mud from its cover and held it under my cloak. The rain had mostly stopped now, and even though the sun should have started to rise, it seemed that the night only grew darker. It was as though the sun itself could not look upon such injustice as this. I feared the full wrath of the great city when the king heard of what we had done to his son. Surely, I thought, we would all be destroyed for this evil committed at our own hands. The very prince himself had come here to lead us back into truth and spare us from the coming judgment, and then we, in turn, beat him and cry for his death. 
Truly, we are a people who have turned from the ancient paths, a people who have lost sight of that which is pure and beautiful. And yet I was still puzzled as to why Joshua willingly stood in our place. It was as though he himself had planned it somehow. I tried to look around the crowd to see what was happening. The shouting had lessened, and it seemed that they had stopped whipping Joshua. I could see him laying on the ground in a pool of blood, and yet the soldiers seemed to be arguing about something. It seemed that they were having a dispute about who would get the cloak of Joshua. And then I saw something I did not expect. On the chest of one passing through the crowd, I saw the crest of the Imago again. He was moving towards Joshua, and he seemed to be carrying something. I pressed through the crowd that I might see. Was he going to deliver Joshua from this final act of brutality? But as I pressed through to the front of the mob, I saw what he carried in his hand. It was a goblet, and I remembered the decree to drink from the goblet of fury. I felt sick to my stomach. While I knew little about what this goblet represented, I knew it must be awful. It looked as though it was filled with a burning liquid. The messenger knelt down to where Joshua was and helped Joshua sit up against the wall. He nodded to the man with what strength he had left and reached out and took the goblet. And as he put the cup to his lips, I rushed to his side in hopes that I might now be of some comfort to my friend whom I had betrayed. He dropped the cup from his hands and I saw that there was not a drop that remained. With a trembling voice, I spoke to Joshua. Please, my prince, forgive me for my crimes against you. And Joshua took my hand and said, My dear Shamgar, by my wounds you are healed, for I am becoming sin itself that in me all will be made new. He stuttered but went on, Care for my betrothed, and I will come to you both when all is finished. As he looked at me and spoke, it seemed that his eyes that once shone like the sun were now growing dark and cold. And before I could say anything else, the guards who had finally gambled to decide about the cloak now shouted for me to leave him alone. I looked over, and the messenger was gone. The guards roughly grabbed Joshua and began to drag him through the gate. I knew what was next, and I felt my stomach churn at the thought of it. Joshua would be nailed to the wall of Arden, as is our custom. He would hang until dead and remain as a warning to all who enter in. I stayed against the wall and moved towards the gate, but the crowd also began to move outside the city wall. I looked back, and my eye caught her looking down at the pool of blood. Suddenly I remembered Joshua's command to care for his betrothed, and so I turned back and made my way to Ada. She remained motionless as I approached, still wearing his outer robe around her shoulders. She, without looking up, said, I don't understand why he would go in our place, that he would bleed and die for a woman such as me. And she went on, And how is it that my feet are made new? Why would he set his favor on me of all people? And she began to weep, and so I went to her side and helped her to stand. Slowly we moved through the gate together, knowing that there was nothing we could do to stop that which seemed so wrong. We passed through the gate and pressed through the crowd as far as we could, and there, just up ahead, we could see him, Joshua, stretched out on the great timbers.
A soldier placed a spike against his hand, and with a mighty blow he pierced his hand and nailed him to the beam. The sound of the hammer hitting the iron spike seemed to cut through the night, and Joshua never cursed his executors, nor did he plead for mercy, but with unmatched courage he endured the shame of his execution. Soon Joshua was hoisted up onto the wall where the beams upon which he was nailed were fastened. I saw upon his head the guards had formed a wreath of thorn and thistle and briar and mocked him as the champion of Arden. It seemed to me that time stood still, that this awful night would never end, that the sun would never shine its life-giving ray again. But I was jolted by the sudden sound of thunder rolling over the city, and the crowd cried out in fear. Joshua cried out, My father, why have you left me? And I remember thinking that I should know the words that followed, for it seemed that he was also quoting one of his ancient scripts. While I had only known the sweetness of his fellowship for a brief moment, I couldn't imagine the pain he felt after centuries and millennia of communion with his father were now broken. Ada was still weeping, and I knew not how to comfort her. Never in my life had I felt so utterly useless, so utterly hopeless as I did on that night. Surely no good could ever come of this. Surely the servants of the great king missed the message to deliver to Joshua and carry him home. I remember thinking, Oh, how I wanted that nightmare to end. But I knew it was no mere dream, and that life itself now seemed meaningless to my despairing heart. As a soldier in training, I'd been exposed to death before since I was a young child. I was taught to not feel anything when surrounded by the dying so that I might be able to focus on the task at hand. Over the course of time, I did develop the ability to shut off my emotions and feel nothing when exposed to death. But somehow all that training seemed to vanish away that night. As I looked upon Joshua, a man I knew did not deserve this, I felt a pain inside that I had never felt prior. And it seemed to me that the very rocks themselves cried out at this injustice, as though nothing had ever been so wrong in the history of the universe. Who was this man? I asked myself. Where did he really come from? As I stood, offering little comfort to Ada, I noticed that Joshua seemed to be in unusual torment. I have seen men killed this way before and undoubtedly display great pain, but it seemed that Joshua was wrestling pain from the very depths of his soul. It was like watching a storm build to the point of causing terrible destruction. Suddenly Joshua cried out one last time, It is finished! And he hung his head and his breathing stopped. Those around grew quiet and it seemed as though heaven itself was speechless. Oh, that time itself might turn back and that the people of Arden might undo this horrendous crime against the great king and against his prince. My own heart began to grow numb, and it was as though my very reason for existing in that moment had died with Joshua. After a few moments, the soldiers began to clean up, and the captain barked orders to make sure Joshua was dead. One of the soldiers grabbed up a sword and pierced it into Joshua's side, unleashing a gush of blood. 
The once-interested crowd began to dwindle as the show was over. I slowly made my way to the captain in charge. As he saw me approach, he jokingly said, Well, good old thing Joshua was around to kill instead of you, hey Sham? Maybe we'll get some peace and quiet in the streets now that he's gone. I ignored his statements. For once in my life, I did not care what the captain thought of me. I got to the point and spoke to the captain. I have a tomb that was to be my father's, but my father will not be needing it. May I have permission to place Joshua in the tomb that I might honor him in his death? The captain laughed. Ha! You sound as crazy as your old man. But I don't care if you want to waste that tomb on this crazy man. He turned and barked out an order. Lower the body for burial. This one won't stay on the wall. So I rushed off to get a cart to carry the body. So I rushed off to get a cart to carry the body. And on my return, they had already lowered the body of Joshua. And so we placed him in the cart. As I looked upon his body, I was struck at the kindness upon his face, even though it was covered in cuts and bruises. Even in his death, there was no hint of anger towards his executors, but rather a quiet, calm confidence. I carried him to the tomb of my father's, and I couldn't help but think that it should have been me on the cart going to rest in the tomb. I wrapped his bleeding body and laid him inside the lonely tomb. And before exhaustion took over, I closed the door and locked it tight. Ada was waiting outside the tomb, and so I helped her back to my house. I didn't think she even had a house, so I offered her the room that was once my father's. She fell asleep as soon as she laid upon the bed, and so I quietly left the room and drifted off to sleep with the events of the evening swirling around in my head. As I awoke, I could not tell what time it was. It felt as though I might have slept for days, even though my night was restless and filled with grief. So I stumbled out of bed and made my way to the water basin to wash my face, which was now covered with dry mud, sweat, and blood. I knelt down and washed myself and searched around for a clean cloth. I typically would rush out the door after a quick bite to eat and make my way back to the barracks for training, but I cared not about my future in the army of Arden. And yet... I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I prepared some food and suddenly remembered that Ada would also need to eat. I quietly went over to my parents' room and knocked upon the door. There was no answer. I knocked again and called out to Ada. Again, no answer. I cracked open the door and peered in, only to realize that she was already gone. I put on my cloak, ate a few quick bites of food, and burst out the door. I was still trying to convince myself that the whole event was just a bad dream, and so I decided to walk down to the courts of tombs where my father's tomb was. My father had purchased it after my mother's death in the Great Plague, but because the officials feared contamination, they ordered all the bodies of the plague victims to be burned. Consequently, the tomb had never been used up to this point, as my father left without a trace and has not been seen since. As I rounded the corner, I saw Ada curled up outside the tomb, sleeping. It would seem that she spent the better part of the night here, outside Joshua's tomb. While I wasn't too excited about watching over her, it was a relief to see her again and know that she is all right. However, I was still baffled by the thought that Joshua would choose her to be his bride in his kingdom. Well, at least before he died... I stirred her awake gently and was just in the process of helping her up when a troop of soldiers approached the spot where we stood. 
I recognized most of them as I had trained with them. Jared stepped forward and said that there had been ordered to seal the tomb where Joshua lay and to also post a watch over it for the time being. As I asked the reasoning for this, I was told that Pharaoh was afraid that some might stage Joshua's resurrection from the dead, as all of Arden heard some of the unbelievable claims that he made. No one took him too seriously until he actually raised his own cousin back from the dead. I was not there, but I know that it circulated the streets of Arden for weeks, and even to this day, people still talked about that amazing miracle. I thought the sealing of the tomb was silly, and that posting a troop was a waste of manpower, but I made no objections. At that, Jared melted wax upon the edge of the door where it had met the jam, and pressed his ring into the wax. Two remained as the others left the court of tombs. I helped Ada back to my place for some food and water. Looking back over my shoulder at the soldiers, now propped against the wall of Joshua's tomb, I sighed as it seemed to make the death of Joshua all the more official in my mind. As we approached my house, I noticed something posted on my door. It was a letter from the barracks notifying me that I must report back to the barracks tomorrow morning or else I forfeit my status that I had worked so hard to achieve. I snatched the note off the door and pushed inside. I tossed the notice on the table, pushing it out of my mind until later. Strangely, the stern warning and threat of losing my status caused no anxiety within my heart. A goal that had been my center for so many years had now lost all attraction to me. Endless hours of training, reading, meditating, dreaming, and longing all seemed to vanish in a vapor of meaningless wishes of days gone by. My mind seemed to constantly return to Joshua and the kindness that he had shown. How I longed for a chance to prove my gratefulness for what he had done. Perhaps I could somehow find his father and explain what happened. But then, why would he have mercy upon me when I was as guilty as those who nailed him to the wall? Surely I would only find justice and vengeance." Ada sat down and began to eat some of the bread and fruit on the table. As I looked over at her eating, I was once again reminded of how ugly she was. To keep myself from telling her to leave, I would glance down at her feet, those feet that Joshua had so tenderly washed and healed. They served as a reminder that the events of that evening were not a dream, but truly happened. As I thought about the prince's kindness, I was compelled to sit down and speak to Ada, for she seemed to be the only other one in Arden that was broken-hearted over what had happened. I looked up into her weary and sickly face and asked her if she knew why Joshua did it, why for people as common and undeserving as us. She stopped eating and looked up at me, and then after swallowing hard, she said, I have never understood his kindness. He had fed me, given me water to drink, shown me respect and love, and yet he often said things I did not understand, like when he asked me for some water when I was alone at the well drawing some water while the others were gone, and he told me that he had living water that would cure my thirst forever and ever. Of course, I requested to have some of that water, but then he would talk of a spirit whom he would give, and that he himself was the water of life. And he would say that for those who would eat his flesh and drink his blood, he would give them eternal life. That he was the bread that had come down from heaven. But perhaps the most peculiar 
was when he has said to me that my sins were forgiven and that he was setting his favor upon me. It was in the evening not so long ago. I was resting just a short distance from the gardens of Arden, and he came to me and sat beside me. He opened a carefully folded cloth in which he had placed a piece of flatbread and a small flask of wine. He looked gently at me and said, Ada, this is the bread of the new covenant that I am making with you. And he broke it and gave me some. He said, As often as you eat it, remember my body which is broken for you. Of course, I took it gratefully and ate. But then as I was eating, he again made reference to his body being broken, that I might be healed. And then he opened a flask of wine and passed it to me and said, This is to remind you of the blood that will be shed for you. And when you drink of it, remember my sacrifice for you. I was puzzled by his words and yet was thankful for his kindness. Surely I do not know why he would have set his favor upon me, for there are hundreds of beautiful virgins in Arden whom he could have chosen. But perhaps it was a mistake anyways. Whatever Joshua meant by it must not have any meaning now that he is gone. Despite Ada's appearance and her sordid past in Arden, I could already tell that I was beginning to think of her differently. For regardless of the fact that Joshua is gone now, it suddenly dawned on me that the kingdom from which Joshua came must have known of the plan to bring Ada back to become Joshua's bride. And to know that such favor had been set upon her for whatever mysterious reason caused my heart to wonder and created within me a desire to serve her and protect her. The least I could do for Joshua now was to care for the woman whom he had chosen to be his bride. Undoubtedly, Joshua was not taken aback at her unkept and homeless appearance because he had the power to make her clean. Just as he had washed her feet of disease and filth, he must have been able to make the rest of her clean and new as well. And yet my mind continually asked the question, If he had so much power, then why didn't he spare himself the pain and humiliation of his death? Perhaps I will never know, I thought. I felt so muddled, so unsure as to what I was supposed to do. Was I supposed to wander off in the desert with this sickly woman, I wondered? Spend the rest of my life dreaming of days gone by while today slips through my fingers? I just didn't know. I was always so practically minded, a materialist through and through. I needed evidence that I could measure and test with my own two hands. I didn't want witnesses. I wanted to see for myself before I verified something is true. And yet, in those days, I felt as if I had been caught up in a strange and magical story filled with powerful kings and ancient plans. My mind continually tried to write the whole thing off as a dream or illusion or the effects of too much drink. But as my mind began to resort back, my heart and soul would cry out in objection to what I had heard and seen and felt with my own hands. I just couldn't place it all into an existing category in my mind. Other than the faded and distant rooms of childhood stories my father would tell me. I suppose what I was feeling was the creating of new categories. Old foundations of viewing the world were stripped out from under me, and I was trying to understand the new ones that were being placed beneath my trembling knees. My appetite was poor and my sleep restless. If only I could make it right 
and have another chance to speak with Joshua. But over and over again, I would whisper out loud, He is gone. It's too late. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Tune in next time and we'll see what happens as our story continues. Remember, if you would like to write to us or find out more information, you can find us online at www.kidsway.ca. And don't forget to head over to www.soulmusic.ca to find many more songs that Jamie Souls has written and recorded. See you next time. May God bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. that are unseen Through the eyes of faith we see them Flex your muscles Throw troubles to the wind Don't you